On today's edition of Come Receive the Light, we'll deal with the topic of racism. And what does the Bible have to say? What does the Lord teach us regarding this very difficult subject? Walk with me, Lord, walk with me. So I think there's a great need for uh, Orthodox Christians and all Christians these days to be presenting an anvil. Uh, a place of, of pain, willing to be hurt and shot at from both sides so that we can begin to portray a spirit of reconciliation, which has to involve uh, receiving anger and frustration from the other side, but being able to listen to the narrative. I want Reverend Dean Borgman is an Episcopal priest and senior professor of youth ministry at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and Holy Cross Greek Orthodox Seminary, both in Massachusetts. He has taught at the high school university level, both in the United States and internationally, specializing in urban and cross-cultural youth ministry. Since founding the youth ministry, Young Life in New England 50 years ago, Dean has become, or Father Dean as we know him, has become an authority on Christian youth outreach. He has served on numerous leadership committees, including the Youth Board of the Episcopal Diocese of New York and the Youth, Urban Spiritual Renewal Commissions of the Episcopal Diocese of Massachusetts, in addition to guiding workshops and courses on how to affect change and reach today's adolescents. Father Dean has been widely published in the Christian academic journals, calling upon his personal experiences from his time as a young adult in Connecticut and Lower Manhattan to the classrooms, believe it or not, of Liberia and Kenya. Currently at Gordon-Conwell, Professor Borgman lectures on ethnic identities and reconciliation. I've got to say to you, Father Dean, they've got to know you by this point with all that stuff. Well, well, Father Chris, it's just, uh, we haven't been together for a while. It's just uh, really fun and great to be back with you. And I want to say to any of the listeners that I'm very privileged to be uh, talking to you all and would love to hear feedback from you. Very good. So let's go into a few questions that we have here. Um, What have you found to be an effective way to start conversation on systemic racism with other Christians? Because we know that this is an issue today. Well, Father Chris, this isn't an easy topic to introduce to someone into the conversation. Uh, And it's not uh, easy to get into this right now, just suddenly. But uh, I think in in terms of your question, I want to begin, if possible, from a faith basis. It seems to me it all begins with God so loved the whole world. And it uh, begins with Jesus wanting to draw all peoples to himself. Jesus making such a huge point about the despised Samaritans in the Gospels and his continued reaching out to the marginalized. And so to draw attention to one powerful adjective you just used, Father Chris, it was systemic. The great difficulty in dealing with this problem is that church people especially have categorized racism as a personal matter. As long as they don't insult or injure a person of color, they don't feel that there has anything to do, racism has anything to do with them. So with that in mind, the conversation about systemic racism usually comes out of some incident, something that's just happened, something that's in the papers that we can talk about. Hardly a day goes by without some racially tainted event or debate. 
not just the shooting of a single innocent person of color, for instance, but evidence of racial language and prejudice in an entire police force and perhaps in a town's officialdom. In our classes, we use a, a square with four quadrants. Think, think of a blank piece of paper and you draw a vertical line down the middle, horizontal line across the, the middle of the page, and so you have four little blocks. To the left is individual racism, and to the right would be systemic racism. On the top left, we have, because we're separated top and bottom, overt personal racism, uh, refusing to mingle with blacks or other people of color, using the N-word and so forth. And then in the lower left would be covert, uh, hidden personal racism, subtle attitudes that don't come out of explicit statements or actions. Then on the right, and this is important for your question, the right half of the square is systemic or institutional or corporate racism. The top quadrant, overt systemic racism, such as Jim Crow, lynching of blacks, uh, segregation. And then underneath the bottom right is covert institutional or systemic racism. The way black soldiers, for instance, after fighting in World War II, lost out on GI education and housing for the most part after the war. And the redlining that refuses business loans to people of color in certain sections even today. Now, if you give me patience to go on just a little bit, let me give an example uh, to your question. Uh, uh, before you do that, Father D, let me ask you this. Yes. People might be a little bit confused right now because we talked about you being an expert in youth ministry, and then we jump right into racism. So I didn't make the connection for people, I hope they're making the connection, that systemic racism affects the youth of our world today, correct? Oh, wow, does it? Sure it does. And, okay. uh, and, and that's hard to see. And so we can blame uh, young people uh, that are falling adrift into drugs, the opioid crisis for one thing, or those that are dropping out of school in the inner cities, we can blame them without understanding the systemic causes that have brought them such disappointment or brought them into the extreme use of drugs or, or, or joining of gangs. Okay, so let's, let's go back to what you were saying. I just wanted to make that connection for our listeners. Thanks. Yeah, and so uh, here's a, a particular example. There's a gang of, a gang of kids down in, in Boston and they're they're going crazy. They they've got their ATVs and they've got their motorbikes or scooters and so forth. And they actually get on the on, on the on the expressway and they're weaving in and out of traffic sometimes the wrong way. So that's of course illegal. It's dangerous. It's unlawful. Uh, but an uh, an officer comes along, uh, a state uh, police officer, and he shoots one of them dead, uh, Adarito Montero. Uh, who's one of this group that's doing this mayhem. Uh, and then, in, in investigating this further, the Globe and other news outlets find out that this trooper is, is sort of known for being an extreme racist and uh, using the N-word derogatorily and even suggesting shooting them down. So here's an example of something blaring at us from the news that might begin a conversation about systemic uh, racism. The troopers' comments are bizarre. They can't even be repeated in this conversation, and they're examples of personal, overt racism. But beyond such individual examples, there's the fact that state police and many police departments, local police departments across the country, allow such racist tendencies to affect their enforcement of law in ways such as profiling, 
which illustrates the power of systemic racism. So I think we need honest conversations about these realities that are going on around us, okay. and that can get us into conversations. Let, let me let me push back a little bit here. Let me push back by sure. saying that, you know, our our uh, our police and our armed forces, or whatever whatever term you want to use, are in a very very difficult position in in today's world. Um, they they're not respected as they used to be. And there is a um, an overstepping many times of not only young people, but older people, too. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also the other side of it, that there are some bad eggs, bad apples uh, within the police system uh, that egg these things on. But I don't know if, uh, you know, we, I can't say both sides are lily white. I can say and I want to believe that the majority of um, our armed forces and, of course, our police forces are not bigoted and biased people, racists. But we do have a culture that creates a, uh, an intolerance, but many times I think it's fear and confusion that then brings out these racist comments. And as you said, one racist comment can start a war. Yeah, this is great, Father Chris. This is this is the conversation that you and I have just had, uh, which is should be the conversation going on. A conversation that will that will show that people on both sides have uh, have some truth that they're really fearful, angry, frustrated about, but that they also have certain blind spots. And until we begin talking together, as you and I have just started to do, where you push back and you brought up the perfect examples, I failed to say, and I needed to hear from you, that most police forces in this country are above board, and, and they're in a they're terribly uh, difficult and dangerous position. Yes. And most police officers, state police, local police, uh, are good-hearted. They're, they're helping kids to read. They're starting basketball leagues, football leagues, and other things like that. So it's out of this conversation that we get to see both sides, but uh, both sides need to be able to listen to the other side and to learn from the other side. Thank you for that. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about the the climate of reconciliation. I mean, are we in such a climate now, or are we still so polarized that we – I mean, I just just see how the nation is polarized – uh, Republican, Democrat, Independent, that's another story altogether. Uh, the racial divide is definitely there. I think many people thought then uh, when President Obama was elected and he and Michelle, uh, the First Lady, occupied the White House, that some of that would uh, would subside a little bit. But we've seen it uh, raise its head uh, pretty badly lately, haven't we? Right, and I think that uh, Christians are called upon particularly, but not only Christians, secular people of goodwill. We're called upon to be, uh, but particularly Christians, following the example of Jesus Christ. Uh, We're called to pick up the cross and be lightning rods for the anger of the world on both sides. Mm. So there's one side uh, that is screaming uh, against immigrants uh, and screaming uh, against... uh, People that want to see some kind of something done about assault weapons. We have another side that's screaming uh, down upon the deplorables and the ignorant and so forth. Yes. Underneath both of this, and there's two books I've discovered recently, one by a secular uh, author uh, at NYU in New York, another by a Christian author from Notre Dame <clears throat> that I could mention that really helps this in terms of seeing how uh, on both sides, people have deep emotional 
settings that are, are driving them to uh, fight for their own cause and not listen to the other side. Now, the secular book is The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. That's 2012. Uh, good uh, before that, and he refers to this Christian book, and it's though he's not a Christian writer at all, but respectful, uh, Cr- Christian Smith. Christian Smith is a person I know and have met and have worked with, uh, who did the National Study of Youth and Religion in America, uh, the, by far the, the great study of where young people are religiously in America. And he has uh, written a book, Moral Believing Animals, Human Personhood and Culture. And he describes the kind of narratives that we have from the kind of people we've grown up with or been attracted to that are deep down seated emotional uh, intuitions. And then our reason comes along, both of these sociologists and psychologists say, our reason comes along to debate from our side of our disposition, our particular angle. And in fighting each other, we get driven further and further away. So I yeah. think there's a great need for uh, Orthodox Christians, uh, Catholic Christians, and all Christians these days to be presenting uh, a, an, an anvil, uh, a place of, of pain, willing to be hurt and shot at from both sides so that we can begin to portray a spirit of reconciliation, which, got, which has to involve uh, receiving anger and frustration from the other side, but being able to listen to the narrative. Okay, you, you, you use the term anvil, and that's a, whew, that's a very strong thing, because that anvil sits there, and the gentleman with the mallet continues to beat the metal, which is hot metal, and trying to form it into something. So that's, that's quite an analogy. Uh, I don't have much more time, uh-huh. so I'm going to try to get in only two more questions. Okay. Uh, let's talk, Father Dean, about social media. It's become an inextricable part of today's culture. Uh, yet it's often used and can be used as a wedge rather than a bridge. People just look at the uh, at their uh, what they call them devices, and they continue to text and talk through that rather than actually sitting down and talking to one another. Talk to us briefly. How can social media be effectively harnessed in combating the problem of systemic racism? I think as people of faith, first of all, we have to realize that. Uh, uh, technology and uh, the cell phone today is a good thing, invented by God, uh, by, the, by the image of God and human beings for our good. And as long as the technology, uh, whether we're talking about the argument of, uh, about pencil erasers way back or the printing press that would allow everybody to get in on the arguments or television or, or now about the Internet and cell phones and so forth, that these are all meant for the good of humankind, but when they lose the fact that they are our servants under the lordship of Christ, 50% of teenagers today in the United States say that they are addicted to their cell phones. This is not their parents talking or their teachers complaining. This is the teenagers themselves in studies. And so I'd refer to social psychologists like Sherry Turkle at... uh, MIT or June Twenge out the University of San Diego, I believe, and they've collected massive national studies and uh, have have shown us the crisis of uh, young people that on the on the negative side uh, have become 
disconnected, hyper-connected, but really unattached to others with feelings of loneliness, inferiority, stress, and depression. But then, on the other hand, look at what the uh, high schoolers of uh, Parkland, Florida, have been able to do through social media in the Never Again movement. And they are pushing where adults have not known uh, how to progress. And uh, that's an amazing thing. Well, Father Dean, it's been great talking with you. Unfortunately, our time is up. Uh, I do appreciate it. Uh, could you maybe tell us two things, briefly, two things that our listeners could do to help fight systemic racism? Well, I think that first thing is to, is to pray, uh, to pray with uh, God's Word, the words of Christ open before us, and to see what God's attitude is towards his world with all the good and the bad and all the forces on both sides. And then secondly, I think that we need to, after listening to our Lord, we need to listen to one another. And we need to listen to those with whom we disagree. We need to listen to those that are most afflicted. Uh, we, we need to really hear. For instance, one issue of trauma. Uh, we, we need to know how certain groups of people have been so traumatized that, for instance, so many Native Americans can't get off the reservation, can't really make something for themselves. Uh, and uh, and so also in the inner city and the gangs, it's it's a real challenge. And uh, yes. then I think we we Christians need to talk together and uh, perhaps organize, but but certainly vote and and vote for candidates that are going to bring us together rather than divide us. Very good. Uh, thank you, Father Dean, for your time and uh, thank you for your wisdom. God bless you, sir. God bless us all. Bye. Just a reminder of who Father Chris has been talking to on this edition of Come Receive the Light. Dean Borgman is the Charles E. Culpepper Professor of Youth Ministries, that's not easy to say, (laughs) at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and teaches at Holy Cross Greek Orthodox Seminary, where Father Chris is the president, an internationally recognized authority on youth culture and adolescent ministries. He established Young Life in New England, and if you're not familiar with Young Life, they're on the web, and founded and directs the Center for Youth Studies. Borgman is the author of a number of youth ministry books and hundreds of articles and is an Episcopal priest. Uh, We will have a link on our website at myocn.net to a number of the books that Professor Borgman has authored and you may be interested in reviewing and obtaining. Again, the website is myocn.net. I'm Mike Trout. Our host is Father Christopher Metropolis, and this is a weekly visit from OCM, the Orthodox Christian Network, called Come Receive the Light. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, you can do that very easily here on the website. Plus, all of our archives are available on the website as well. Share that with your friends. I know they would be encouraged by a number of the conversations we have had over the past 20-plus years of this broadcast. Well, next time on Come Receive the Light, we celebrate and remember Holy Friday with a unique conversation. Well, you know, everyone who works, and especially you now, you have a career in engineering, you also, though, have an extensive notation and music ability that comes about through Byzantine music. Uh, It's not something that everybody has. Were you always interested in it? Where did this knowledge come from? Join us for that interview when we return with the next edition of Come Receive the Light. In the meantime, remember to always have faith in what you listen to. I see the world your way.
not afraid to follow I see the world your way And I'm not ashamed to say so I see the Jesus way And I'm walking in the light